0: It's the one-year anniversary of the gem of the Queen's crown, the local Sunday sports podcast. Welcome to the 52nd edition of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, a podcast about the sports scene in Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. I am Lee W. Mallon, a broadcaster, public address announcer, writer, and jack of some trades. I've been broadcasting since 2006 when I was a freshman at Wright State University. My goal of the Gem on the Queen's Crown is to bring my passion of local Sunday sports to you. The Gem and the Queen's Crown is generously hosted by gemcitysports.com and the Gem City Sports Network, as well as my website, the and also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Google Play, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, Spotify, Anchor.fm, Acast, Castbox, RadioLine, Spreaker, Podbean, Podchaser, Player.fm, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Listen Notes, Beyond Pod, Podcast Blaster, Podcast Pup, Podbay.fm, Podtable, Playapod, Cloudcaster, Gpotter.net, Pod Paradise, Feed, iVooks, Digital Podcast, Audioburst, Burst, Podcast.com, Autoradio, Storio, Wooshka, and Messy.fm. Now, if you remember listening to my podcast, what I just mentioned, other than the 52nd and all those platforms that weren't gemcitysports.com, that was the very first thing I said on my podcast. The very first episode rendered in horrible audio quality. That's because I turned the bitrate a bit too low. (laughs) Bit, bit, It's funny. And also, I listened to episode 50 and 51 to see if the new way to do my voice on these podcasts. And holy crap, 51 just blows 50 out of the water. I mean, the difference in that's just insane. By the way, you can reach all those platforms on the leadwmound.com slash podcast. Thanks to the lovely, lovely press kit that I created on my website. So go there. You can pick your poison and listen to this however you like. One year. Episode 52. I've been doing this podcast for a year. I did have a couple hiatuses. I had one for about two weeks. I had one for about a month and four days. I had one for another two weeks because of an emergency. But I stuck with it. I know I shouldn't be patting myself on the butt, but I stuck with this because that's been my goal. I wanted to share my love of Cincinnati Dayton sports to you, the listener. And plus, I thought that Dayton sports didn't really get a fair shake. I mean, other than Dragons and Flyers and sometimes Raiders and high school sports, obviously, too... I felt like the other teams weren't being covered as much. So that's the reason why I made this podcast. Because all the teams in Cincinnati and Dayton deserve some light shined on them. Because they're athletes. They're Cincinnatians, Daytonians, Middletownians. Middletownians? Middletownians? Middleians, Middies? I don't know. But the way I wanted to start off episode 52 other than shouting... 52 was to take the first line of my podcast and run with it by the way before i forget in the fifth minute of episode 52 the sources of all the opening themes i've used over the year are from podsummit.com slash free music freestockmusic.com and the latest one the rock theme is from music radio creative just to give credit to all the themes I've used over the years. I know it took me a while before I started saying where the music was from on the openings and closings, and for that, I'm sorry. But now it's time to celebrate one year. So, in the past few episodes, I've mentioned, hey, if you got ideas you'd like to hear for an anniversary show, bring them to me. But instead, I decided to pick some of the best clips from my favorite episodes. There's 12 of them. They're on the press kit. Again, the LeeWMowan.com slash podcast. And you can listen to them on Radio Public there. I decided to take the best segments out of those episodes and probably a couple other ones, too. As we celebrate one year of this podcast... I I can't wait. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It took a lot to create, and being released on the same day I started this podcast last year in 2017, it's a big deal for me. So, let's go ahead and have ourselves a montage. I figured since I'm doing a montage, I'd throw... ...a theme or two in there of music. This first one is from Frank Nora. It is off of Public Domain. It's called Electronic P Disco Accordion. How the montage is going to work is... ...I'm going to release my favorite segments of the... ...12 favorite episodes I have on my press kit... the ...theleadwmound.com slash podcast. And it's going to go in order from oldest to newest episodes... So we're going to begin with episode four, Poopin' with Jim DeBelt, recorded August 10th, 2017. Tell us a little bit
1: about yourself. Well, Lee, uh, about 32 years ago, I kind of found a passion that I really enjoyed, and that was writing, sports writing, and basketball. And when I was in high school, I went to Tippecanoe High School here in Miami County, and uh, our girls basketball team was very successful. And uh, my English teacher at the time was also the girls varsity coach, Hall of Fame, Tom Redding. And so Tom asked me if I wanted to help out with the team. He goes, you know, uh, you know we'd love to have you on board. And I was just very raw in the, the whole basketball business. So I ended up coming on. We ended up, um, we went to the district finals, um, hit a buzzer beater in the district finals. Against Sherwood Fairview, and uh, or against Kenton Ridge, and then went to the regional finals against Sherwood Fairview and hit another buzzer beater to go to the state final four. We go to the the one year the state was up at Akron. We played uh, Akron Hoban, obviously, which is from their backyard, and we beat them to go to the state finals. We played Millersburg West Holmes, who had won over a hundred consecutive games. We're up two points with seven seconds to go and no three-point line. We're at the line. I'm thinking, we hit one free throw. We're state champs. We're going to knock them off. We miss. They come down. They hit a bucket, tie it up, go to overtime, and beat us. Oh. On the bus trip home, Coach Redding said, um, what do you think about this? And I said, I am hooked. I said, you know, I've always liked basketball. I grew up a Dayton Flyer basketball fan back in the Roosevelt Chapman, Damon Goodwin, Ed Young era back in the 80s and so I always loved the game and I knew that girls basketball was really underappreciated to the point to where nobody really did anything with it so Coach Redding suggested I put the two together my writing love for writing and basketball and promote the game of women's basketball and 32 years later you know obviously I'm still at it going strong love every second of it and really am honored to be able to promote you know ohio basketball which is by all experts one of the top three states in in the country for producing talent for women's basketball
0: and you're absolutely right on the fact that girls basketball is just underappreciated and love you have for the game definitely shows as you have the debout report we're going to start off with that. Uh, one of many things you do for the wonderful sport. Now tell me, where does the Belt Report take you?
1: Well, Lee, what I did was uh, way back in the early 90s, I kind of dabbled a little bit around the state, trying to do a little bit of like pr- rankings, promoting, stuff like that. I wrote for the Ohio High School Basketball um, magazine. You no, know, was some kind of a magazine they had out in Indiana, actually produced in Indiana. And I was the only girls' writer. It was all boys and three pages of girls. So um, I did that for a couple of years, and uh, just kind of did some AAU work, enjoyed from going around watching the old-style AAU. And then after I uh, took a few years off, I came back, and in 2003, I created – I'm like, you know, I really want to get back in, the, uh, in the, into the girls' basketball scene a lot stronger because I was kind of like – kind of stagnant, kind of like, well, what am I going to do next? And so in 2003, I created the development board, and it's it promoting the game mostly in the Dayton area. We have our top top 100, top 50 preseason, postseason, anything and everything, so, so people, co- college coaches, fans, parents, and so forth, and players could follow the talent and the teams and players from around southwest Ohio, and in particular, the Dayton area. And still going at it today, you know, obviously, um, actually about to do a facelift on the developer court, about to do a uh, a little bit of a different look to it. I'm going with a little bit of a different design. Hopefully I'll get that done today or tomorrow. And um, just kind of freshen it up a little bit. You know, we're getting ready to start the new season here in a couple of months. And, you know, right now, girls basketball is, is in Ohio is extremely talented. To the point where I cannot remember in 32 years a four-year window of consecutive years of this kind of talent. It is absolutely off the chart, and it's going to get better and better.
0: Up next, from August 15, 2017, the first interview with Mark Schlemmer titled, Sports with Schlemmer. Let me ask you this, Mark. You mentioned what made the show successful? Let's say there's people out there wanting to become sports talk hosts, sports casters, announcers, what have you. What's your advice?
2: It's a good question. Um, for the people that have asked, the biggest thing is you have to be yourself, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. You can try to emulate somebody that you've heard on TV, whether it be a Marty Brenneman or Bob Costas, Jack Buck, whoever. But at the end of the day, it's still you. And I think Tom Brenneman falls into that trap of trying to be like his dad a lot. Yeah. Jim Day does a great job at what he does Is that sideline guy. <laughs> but I find he catches himself trying to be Marty Brennan at times, using catchphrases. The best I, advice I can give anybody is be yourself. Don't try to be something you're not as far as a comedian... You have to know sports, as I said, number one. Second of all, never lie to your audience. Don't. Cause eventually they're going to find out you were wrong or you did it and then you're done.
0: You're, 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 you're done. Shot.
2: Cause they will never trust what you tell them again. Don't be afraid to just say, I don't know. You know, don't, don't try to stir something up as a sports talk host just to get callers and or Clicks. Yeah. Views. Um, new words I've learned, clickbait. Never heard of that one before, but nonetheless.
0: It's pretty much, oh, well, look what this guy did. You won't believe what he did. People, Click this.
2: People will say that So some of our topics, and they, and they used to do it when I was on air. Oh, you're only doing that to stir you know, stuff up and get... No, I'm not. And the people that know me well enough, what I write and what I say is honestly how I feel.
0: It's you. It's there's just only, me. It doesn't mean only... I'm
2: right. But guys like Homer Bedloe and Billy Hamilton, I'm not fans of. That's just my opinion. That doesn't mean I'm right. But at the same time, you can't bang the drum so loud that you're shoving that whole drum down people's throats going, Hey, I'm right and you're not, so screw you.
0: Opinions are not meant to be right or wrong. It's what you see coming out of your eyes.
2: Right. Without those opinions and without the people's feedback, you have nothing but you're talking to yourself a lot. You have to have sports knowledge. You have to have opinions. You can't play waffle every time. Well, I don't know, but on the other hand, because people they want your opinion, but they don't want it. They want to be able to give theirs.
0: They want to be able to have something where they can build their
2: own opinion. If you if you want to be Howard Stern and just yell at somebody and call somebody a name because you disagree, or you just want to stir it up. When I started ONE, I remember one of the people. You gotta let them know you're in their face. Why? That doesn't work. That that shtick's long since gone. People want to be heard, they don't want to be called stupid in names. Yeah, I would argue with people occasionally and get into a discussion, but for me to go, God Lee, you're an idiot. What are you stupid? That's gonna turn you off. People hear it are gonna get offended and go, I'm not listening to this nonsense. You have to be you have to be able to hold the conversation, you have to be able to disagree. But you also got to have a reason you're disagreeing. You got to have some facts, but you can't read numbers to people and call that sports. Yeah, you got to have some background of okay, this guy's doing this or this or this. You can make stats sing and dance anything you want them to do.
0: It's like advice for play-by-play broadcasters. You can't just go. You can't read numbers all day long. You have to be, you know, saying what's happening. It's not all numbers.
2: Controversial is fine but you can't be controversial to the point you're doing it just to get people to call you. That doesn't work. And I think over time you're seeing that that the Howard's the shock jocks as it were. No gone. I want somebody that I can talk sports with period. So as far as advice would go, you got to get a break. As you well know, somebody has to give you that opportunity. You're going to make mistakes. I still make them. I make a lot of them, but you can't be afraid to fail or say what you think. But just be ready for the bullets in return. If they don't get personal, that's okay. Now, if somebody wants to really get personal and be, no, you don't, you don't take that. But at the same time, you don't give that out either. Right. So being yourself is the biggest advice I can give anybody, but come ready with some knowledge. Don't just, hey, I got statistics. That doesn't work.
0: If I wanted just numbers, I'd just stare at a calculator.
2: Yep. If you want to read numbers and let people talk, the problem is, they're going to ask you a question. And if you can't answer it and just sit there dead air, you're done.
0: Yeah. And like you said, you got to be honest. If you, you don't have know, to you don't know. I mean,
2: most of the people don't agree with what I say. It doesn't make me right or wrong. It's just an opinion. It's and from. And here you go.
0: It's from the one and only Mark Schlemmer. There's only one of you. Yeah, out there. but that's
2: just, you know, fortunately, I've had experience in a lot of the different sporting areas. Doesn't mean I'm right. It's just what I've seen and what I've experienced. That's all. Exactly. Exactly. But don't ever quit chasing your dream. That's for you, for all the people out there that want to do this. Yeah, it's hard, as you know better than anybody, it's hard to break into this.
0: I mean, seven years out of right State, and I'm still but, looking for break break number one.
2: But you're getting to do a lot of things people aren't getting to do, like the PA announcing at the different events. Yeah. Your voice is still being heard. Your name is still out there, and people know who you are. Now, somebody all of a sudden might just go, hey, This guy just left. What about you? So don't quit chasing that dream as hard as it gets. Don't. Segment number three from
0: episode seven, the priceless gem recorded August 30th, 2017. When did gem city sports come into effect? When did it blossom into what it's known for today?
3: We got started. uh, This is basically Brad's idea. He, uh, uh, don't yeah, give me too won't much of the credit.
4: I'd like to think that uh, both of us came up with it at the same
3: time. But... Started in November of uh, 2012, and our first game was uh, a girls' basketball game at B- Belmont High School, and it was the Simmons, uh Indians and the Belmont Bison, and I thought it was going to be a pretty good game. And I don't know if you remember, Brian, but uh, it was like 85 to 35. Uh,
4: it was. Points. It was not close. I remember that. And... If anybody remembered, the Wi-Fi or the Internet was not working there, so we technically
3: podcasted that game instead of calling it live. Yeah, I thought, oh, what are we getting ourselves into here? You know, <laughs> but it turned out, you know, it turned out that it was a, it was a gold mine, that we were. Uh, we got this thing going, and uh, one of the things that uh, I told Brian that we should do is get a hold of Sinclair and see if we can do the... Uh, do their sports, and uh, we've been partners with them uh, since 2013,
4: I think. The the first game we actually did, we never uh, published it, but um, we actually did one of the Sinclair women's games before we did anything, but again, we never published it, we never did anything with it. It was just more like a pilot, if
3: you will, for um, Sinclair, if you will. Yeah, it was a test run, and it turned out all good, and uh, we're doing the volleyball, Rick and Mary Smith are doing the volleyball on the basketball, and I'll be doing the uh, uh, the baseball. And uh, they got a you know all their sports on there is very good, and
4: nobody knows about them. They are no. pa- Sinclair is a powerhouse in JUCO, not just uh, locally, but
3: they are regionally, but uh, nationally as well. Yeah, and then now, uh, of course, now we have Central State, and but it just seems like we keep growing, and people keep calling us. Uh, I, I know I get. Uh, uh, calls every once in a while say, Hey, can you do this or can you do this uh, uh, this game or this show or whatever, you know, and uh, and uh sometimes I have to say no. And it's tough. Uh it's at least it's tough for me right now, but uh, we're doing so good right now that yeah uh, you know, we're we're probably I, I, I I'm not saying we're number one but we're pretty close to it in, in uh, doing what we're doing.
0: The nice thing about Gem City Sports is I know my time uh, broadcasting too covered a lot of things around the Dayton area. Uh, I know my favorite and probably the one people will remember me for the most is Dayton demons and Dayton demolition hockey. That was that was always go time for me. Hockey time was the time to get rolling. Yeah,
4: but I. I've... I didn't go to too many of the, uh, I don't think I went to any of the uh, demolition games, hate to say that, but uh, the Demons, uh, those were those were some fun times being there at the uh, Hero Arena.
0: Yeah, they were, and man, we had three great teams with the Demons all three years, and I was thinking about that in the car, like, what would happen with the Demons had they won the Cup? 2012, 2013.
4: Yeah, that was one of the episodes of um, one of your earlier podcasts, I remember.
0: Yeah, episode two. Um, I might do another one of those, maybe. But it's just, what would happen if they won the cup? Would the Demons still be around? Or would their arena be over? I don't know. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but it's like, hey, what if this thing happened? You know, that's, that's what I like to do, apparently. But going back to the subject, the Demons... And the uh, Demolition, it was always nice to have that free audio for fans to just come in and listen. I mean, you couldn't see it, but at the same time, I felt like every time I turn around, the video is like upside down or something. That's not, you know, it's not a knock on it. It's just the, you know.
4: It's just what it was. had to work with what you had to work with. But that was one of the good things for us. Maybe not so good for the FHL, but good for us was that I think we were the only team that offered A free option for streaming. No, it wasn't a video, but um, it allowed people to follow their team, whether it was Dayton or whoever was visiting that wouldn't normally get the chance to, can do it without breaking the bank.
0: Exactly. And I want to go back on the video. It's not saying, you know, we had the best videographer there, John Ford, which I need to talk to him again soon. Yes, he was a good guy. guy. He is a good guy. Um, But it, it was nice because people didn't have to pay for it, they could just tune it in, listen to it, and just follow along on stats. Port Huron had that for a year with another station, but they stopped and so did St. Clair Shores. In fact, I don't think they made it through the season with the unit audio feed, but we were the only consistent ones. Like, pretty much bam, starting Season 2 for every game. And actually, that was the uh, game we got my broadcast high. I think it was like 70s, 80s? That's I think, uh,
3: I think that's our biggest show, our, our uh best uh, listened to was a uh, hockey game. I think it was
0: 78. Yeah, yeah. that's that yeah. sounds about right because Must've I been. think I think that was game three when we had the black jerseys. We displayed them and we won that in OT with Brian Marks, the defender, uh, had his goal from the blue line and it went underneath the backup goalie, which I don't remember how he got in, but he did. And that's how we won it. And then we won the cup. We <laughs> Force Kane five and won a nine to two at their place. Watch I that! Do,
4: I do remember watching uh, the last bit of that. Um, it was yeah. also at Hare Arena. I mean, it was it was sort of double duty for us. Um, there was the the watch party for that was going on in the pub, and while well, at the same time we were had to do a um, Dayton Sharks game as well.
0: And I think, football thing and I think Brian, that was the time where we fed the second microphone down to where the hockey uh, penalty boxes would be, and you were doing color commentary from down on the field. Well, field, but you know what I
5: mean. Yeah, yeah. It was, was <laughs> at field
0: level. It was, it was cool, though. Segment four from episode 14, Scratch and Score. How I Spent My Soccer Offseason with Chad Hollingsworth, recorded November 21st, 2017. Uh, Chad, which one in your preference would you rather see FC Cincinnati go with?
6: Well only because there's such a huge build it here movement, I'd like to see it at the Oakley site because I think for for reasons that I don't entirely agree with, uh, the club would risk alienating at least a small portion of its fan base if it went across the river in the Newport. Um, And that's that's really my only preference for the Oakley site. Um, I think the Newport site is just as viable right across the river with a view of the Cincinnati skyline from the stadium. Um, I think some of the same problems that exist in terms of infrastructure are there in both sites. There are concerns about traffic, although I know at the Newport site, uh, the state of Kentucky and the city of Newport have done some things to alleviate some of the traffic headaches. Uh, either way, there's there's infrastructure issues. Uh, so I think to me, though, really... When it comes down to it, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. So just because of the aesthetic of being in Ohio, I would would lean towards the Oakley site.
0: And when these teams build new stadiums, what sort of things should they focus on to help the game day experience to make it, a true soccer home and possibly a place where you know if FC Cincinnati isn't using it maybe say hey state of Ohio have your playoffs here too
6: oh yeah undoubtedly Um, you know if you can build it with multi use in mind and I'm not talking about necessarily multiple sports but if you can build it with the idea that you can host other types of soccer games um, whether it's high school playoffs or if it's College showcases at the club level, or you know, lots of soccer stadiums are also used as places to hold concerts, so those are a great idea. I think when you build the stadium, you want it to have a nice, clean, modern look, but you don't want it to be uh, so modern that it appears to be outdated in a few years, if, if you know what I mean. So, if you can have a little bit of neoclassical look to it, that's that's fantastic but you want it to stick out um, in terms of like you said you're driving down the highway you want it to draw your attention you say, oh well that's that's a place where things happen you want to keep in mind all of the amenities that will be needed for fans uh, in terms of sightline, line uh, proximity to the pitch concessions restrooms so lots of things need to be considered when building a stadium and they all need to be geared towards fan experience
0: segment five from the roundtable debuts episode 16 recorded december 4th 2017 we're doing something very special today back here with mark Schlemmer, as we introduce the roundtable we bring local sports fans in and we have a good old time talking said sports we got adam from st louis and tony on the microphones today gentlemen say hello
7: good
4: afternoon Good afternoon, everybody.
2: Most people remember Tony from being on the show. Tony, Chris, what are you in here at your thirty-eighth year now yeah, in school?
4: Like that. I
8: don't know, since eighty-two,
2: whatever that is. Look not at your me, your hero, Jethro Bodine, and his Gazenta, his birthday today. Yeah, that I should saw be that easy.
9: In
2: the paper, I couldn't believe he was still alive. I thought he's actually gone doing some ciphering. I still want to know what the secret was they he hid during the show. Cause I always see that on the internet. I know, I read through it, and I never, like, Mary Ann had a secret on the island. It's just clickbait.
8: I know what that is. I might not know Your what that's Your daughter must have told is, you what that was. Well, yeah,
2: that
10: and how to work my phone. <laughs> you
2: know, all these gizmos and letters that they post, the LOLs and all that. But no, we're going to try to, we've talked about, Lee and I talked about this the last time, of bringing in different people during the, you know, during these things so we can do the round table, because we had a lot of fun on the show, and... Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear me rabble for every week, so we're going to do this. Actually, Big E was supposed to be on this one as well as the Comrade, but the Comrade is deathly is. ill. Not deathly ill, but he's ill. Big E is tending to his father.
9: Comrade didn't break any ankles. Jumping off I think
2: the, the, the Pulibur called him home, actually. Mm-hmm. But he's just, you know, the double-knot spies, he well, can't let that out.
9: State not getting
10: I was really looking forward to it.
9: What day it is,
10: <laughs> it's only Monday, it's only yeah, I mean, it We just
4: got
2: done, and the commissioner he is smoking cigars like crazy out of two SEC teams in the playoffs. Mr. McKinney, he got called into work, but they'll be on a future one. Don't worry,
0: yeah. We're just starting off the podcast. See We've how got it a works. long list
2: of people wanting to play.
0: Well, the first thing is, this is not a round table, I think Tony was the one mentioning it. This is a <laughs> rectangle. You can't get table. anything past him. <laughs> They
2: call them
7: wings, boneless wings, when they didn't have bones in them. That You've got to explain that, because I've
2: tried. I remember it was at either a uh, tailgaters. tailgates, yeah. And I can never remember. You asked, and the guy just stood there dumbfounded. Why is one more expensive than the other? Yeah. But I can't remember what the original question was.
9: Well, boneless wings were more expensive than the regular chicken wings. I said, well, why wow. is it more
7: expensive? Doesn't even have bones in it. Well, yeah, the guy it. went you got back to, to the
2: kitchen it. to ask.
0: I remember <laughs> yeah, that?
7: Yeah, he, he was he was a little befuddled. Well, you got no, he was a, little, a lot of
0: befuddled. You got to pay a little extra for the labor to take out the bones and the wings.
8: Well, I mean. how come they're not shaped like wings? They're just little round nuggets.
0: That is weird. Why and not just call them nuggets? Where do you get that
5: much meat? Yeah, I, I, I don't see that much meat on a wing itself. I mean, where no. to, to these these kind of does that come from? Nuggets are not
2: nuggets. We both know what those are. Rooster nuggets. Absolutely. <laughs> you got to use all the chicken. We used to have, for those that remember the show, that was part of the allure of some of the remotes, which were still legendary, and many commemorative coins were given out for those things, was between you and greedy eating every chicken wing these places had, it got to almost be comical. Well, yeah. Paradise Key brought out,
1: they had roasted chicken. A that, circle. It wasn't really
2: wings. It was more like a. It was half like half a chicken. A chicken. Yeah. And these guys, no chance. You weren't with me the day of the barbecue cook-off. You didn't do that one with me. No. It was over no. in Kettering.
7: Not the, no, the one that was at the. Uh, the VFW.
2: I got there on Friday and got home Sunday. That's how good it was. <laughs> no, that's no kidding. I just remember the guy saying at oh, midnight you'll start smelling different that's when they season them. Oh man, walking around getting samples of everything under the sun, but every one of the people, you gotta have a beer with it if you're gonna have some of the chicken and the roast and all that. Okay, I'd never done one of those before, so I went out like two hours before the show that Friday. That made for a good show.
10: <laughs> but
2: sitting there that whole weekend, tasting all that, oh my god! But yeah, the remotes, those, those were fabulous
0: over some of the favorite remotes that uh, you guys been to and <laughs> some of the remotes that you remember fondly.
2: You were at all of with me.
0: Uh, well, I, I just sat back and watched a lot.
2: That's because that's about, <laughs> well, that Lord, was half we, the we, fun. We weren't allowed to drink. I mean, we could yeah, we well, sit there with beer. I See, I didn't know that originally in that cook-off thing. I had like a train full up, of up on the I table. time
8: they
5: showed up, they told us we weren't allowed to drink. <laughs> that's what plastic <laughs>
2: cups were for. I don't know.
5: Much of a
10: comment about
5: that. <laughs> well, I was just everything, anything you guys were ever at Bricks, everything at, at Bricks was always fun. Um, I remember I won on the show. Um, there was, didn't they have a beer tasting at uh, at 5th Third Field? Yep, yeah. I won that there. They uh, like said I won one of those. There. That was always a great time. I actually took um, a friend of mine with me. Uh, he was actually my boss at the time when I worked for Rena Center. And he can drink more and faster than anybody that I've ever known. And we, we both just had a blast. I mean, it just, you know, the old show always felt like to me that it, it, it was... When you called in, it wasn't like you were talking to somebody who was bigger than you. It was... You felt like you were talking to a friend on the phone more than anything. And that's what I always loved about it. Yep.
0: It's segment six from episode 18, Ice at the Metro, recorded Tuesday, December 19th, 2017. Where did you come from? I'm from Boston. I moved here in
11: 1988 and- Owned a few businesses. My first hockey situation here in Dayton was at Sports Plus. You know, I played hockey in Boston. My parents owned a rink and they ran a bunch of rink. So I was in the hockey business for quite some time as a young guy. Went off to play semi-pro baseball and after high school and kind of got out of the business because I got tired of it. Moved here in, to Dayton to get started at Sports Plus in 92 for a couple of three years. I helped them out left the sport again to return to help out the bombers. My goal always was to own a rink by myself without my parents. Looked at this place three or four times and finally we bought it in 2012. Been here ever since. The building has grown tremendously with hockey and everything else. Got a good plate of of sports here in the building
0: like mentioned volleyball basketball and hockey of course and futsal i think i'm saying that right Right. uh futsal which uh what is that
11: it's indoor soccer on on hardwood floor or court floor
0: okay i know the indoor soccer it's about the same specs as an ice hockey rink But I always wonder what futsal was and if I was saying that right. Futsal
11: is played on a basketball court normally. And we normally have three games going on a Friday night from Cusa.
0: Let's talk a little bit about you starting off with South Metro Sports and now South Metro Sports Plex, You said 2012.
11: So I bought the business in 2012 and then I purchased the building in 14. And we had a plan to, you know, renovate the building, upgrade a lot of stuff. We've done that from the start of owning the building. Also, one of the key ingredients to a building is time and space. If you have time and space, you're not doing too well. And uh, we don't have any time and space, so we're doing the, the building's pretty full. So uh, we're going to make another major change here in the coming months. We're going to run our own hockey program, so that's going to be a big thing. We'll reinvent our junior program next year. Got a pretty good men's league here. Then on the volleyball basketball side, we got Air City Chicks and Air City Boys. They do a really nice job with Monty Mosier's running that side of the building. Uh, he does a really good job. All in all, we are um, pretty good there. We're looking to have a major expansion in the coming months, hopefully. Still a lot of things to do to get that sorted out.
0: And could you go on a little bit about what that expansion might be?
11: So the, the expansion will be a full sheet of ice. Current rink is a sand base rink, and it'll turn into a concrete base also. We'll have two base rinks and new boards, and we've insulated the current rink now, and we'll do some more renovation on the current rink we have. The new rink will be pretty much state-of-the-art. We'll recapture all the water. Any water that goes on the rink will go in the snow pit. All the heat from the rink that after the floor is frozen it comes back to the compressor room and it's pretty hot so we'll recapture that heat heat the hot water and all that stuff so it's going to be pretty much state-of-the-art program and it'll be the only rink
0: around just like that that's very very cool and you mentioned that there's been additions since you bought the business then took over especially like i mentioned the performance enhancement center that was this fall that it just opened yes uh, we opened
11: that this fall jerry gallo runs that does a really nice job with that any sports guys that want to come out or anybody that wants to come out and get trained by a professional he's the guy to do it with
0: it's a gym back there right
11: yeah it's a small little gym and then he has the whole area to work with when he's doing teams and stuff. He does a really good job with a certain group of people that are using it right now and then Air City Boys use it seven times a season so that's a good thing there.
0: On segment seven it's episode 25 recorded Thursday January 25th 2018. Leo DeLuca from Dayton History.
10: Dayton History is Montgomery County's official historical organization we have a number of historical sites and campuses, uh, or this campus, under our umbrella. So we have Caroline Historical Park, Caroline Brewing Company, Memorial Hall, the old courthouse, Paul Lawrence Dunbar House, of course, possibly the crown jewel of the entire Dayton area. It's just Hawthorne Hill, Orville Wright's Success Mansion, where Bishop Milton Wright and his younger sister, Catherine, also lived. So here at Dayton History, I am the media coordinator, that is my official title, but I'm also a writer for Ohio Magazine, Dayton Magazine, some national music publications, and I do radio work myself with WYSO 91.3 and do a lot of archival and historical pieces in relation to sports. I am a wrestling coach at Oakwood High School, so that's enough about me.
0: What does the media coordinator job entail here at Dayton History?
10: So we're a not, not-for-profit organization. My title is media coordinator, but I work a lot of hats. Uh, so at Dayton History, I, I do a lot of the PR, talking to people like you, or organizing interviews for my colleagues to, to speak with people like you, and uh, getting the word out to the press about our different events and fundraisers, exhibits, new openings, things like that anything noteworthy i also manage the social media accounts and then i do some side stuff so i i got involved with Dayton history because i am a Dayton history nerd so wherever possible i, I try to do some interpretation historical interpretation and try to, to work on the development end of things as well so yeah it's a lot it's it's a lot of fun
0: Let's dive into Dayton history, shall we? I know there's a big event coming up next month, late next month, and my good friend Mary Wharton, she is part of the Fight Night in Dayton. Tell me more about the Fight Night.
10: Yeah, so Saturday, February 24th, doors are at 7 p.m., fights are at 8 p.m. is Dayton History Fight Night. It's a very affordable event. It's Tickets are $15 in advance. You can get them at uh, DaytonHistory.org or by visiting Carolina Historical Park, Caroline Brewing Company, and uh, the $20 at the door, so it does benefit you to buy tickets in advance. It is an ever-growing and very popular event. Historic Memorial Hall was established in 1910, and back in the early 20th century to mid-20th century, boxing was the sport. So it was much more popular Than it is today, and Memorial Hall drew some incredible names. So you had Jack Dempsey, which very well he could have been the most famous sports icon of his time. I mean, he was an incredible boxer. Uh, You had Big Joe Lewis who fought there, and then you had some uh, amazing events. You know, so when Jack Dempsey was there, Tony came, who eventually took him down, Gene Tunney, and showed up in a in a black sports sports suit and walked into Memorial Hall and they say that he got a bigger applause than Dempsey did and you know, he was there to basically state, Hey, look, I wanna go for the crown, I wanna fight you. I'm here tonight to gather support for that. And so they took a really famous photo actually at Memorial Hall of Jack Dempsey and Gene Tunney. They're shaking hands, and I think it's the first time they were ever seen in the ring. And so that happened at Memorial Hall. And born out of, you know, that picture, you know, was kind of interesting, and I think kind of got the wheels turning that you know, there could be an event here at Memorial Hall to celebrate Dayton's boxing history. And Memorial Hall is open to the public for, you can rent it for rentals and things like that, but you know, this is an event where people can come and see this amazing piece of architecture and history that has been part of Dayton for so long. It's really a special event. A lot of older Dayton citizens frequented Memorial Hall to see things like the historic Kenley Players or, you know, Broadway musicals or sporting events like boxing matches. And it's interesting for them to, or fun for them to be able to visit memorial hall once more and i think it's interesting for people who have never seen the inside of this grand memorial to witness it it serves many purposes
0: and boxings known as the sweet science too segment 8 from episode 27 the man on the mound recorded january 30th 2018. You helped me on the broadcast I did with GemCitySports.com. Right. A lot of great basketball. Right. A couple boys games and a couple girls games to boot. You are the former head coach of the girls basketball program here at MHS. And you're a teacher here at Miamisburg. And also you help out with SundaySports.com as part of the broadcasting crew.
12: Yeah, that's fun for me. I, since I've gotten out of coaching, it keeps me in touch with the game. I get to watch games, talk basketball, maybe people listen. But, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Sean Stidham's a good guy and given me some opportunities to work with him the past couple years over there at Sunday Sports. So it's, it's fun. Keeps me around the game. Get to watch the ball. Where are you from? East Dayton. East uh, Dayton. grew up in East Dayton. Two blocks away from the blonde bomber, Al Berkey. <laughs> they used to play for the Flyers. Old neighborhood's still there. My parents are still there, but we've all been, are done and gone. But back in the days when you used to play basketball in the alley and, baseball over at Highland Park, and then came up through Catholic school and went to CJ, and then went from there to Wright State and graduated from Wright State with a bachelor's and a master's degree. How did you wind up here in Miami's firm? It's kind of an interesting thing. I started coaching when I was in college. So I jumped around a couple freshman girls' teams, a couple freshman boys' teams, and then while I was in college, I kind of got a break. A friend of mine was a student trainer at Beaver Creek, and mentioned my name to Larry Holden, who's in Ohio Basketball Coaches Hall of Fame now. And they needed a junior high coach. So I went over there and worked with Larry for two years. And then went from there and got my first teaching job at CJ and coached and taught there nine years. And after nine years of working in Catholic school and thinking I'm going to have to support my own family and the, the wages, your your yearly salary was not very competitive back then. I was doing a lot of work coaching, running intramural programs and this and that just to make a buck. And then I was in graduate school with someone and that, from Miamisburg and heard that the job opened up and asked them to bring me in the information. And I just got the ball rolling and interviewed and ended up here because I wanted, I needed a career in public education where salaries were competitive and retirement plan and all that kind of stuff. And then ended up coaching here 15 seasons.
0: 15 great seasons for the Miamisburg Vikings. I remember a couple years back, uh, there was an article written about you and your success with Miamisburg. Uh, When did it all begin with the Vikings? What was your first season like? My
12: first season, I came into some talent. We had a talented group. We won 20 games my first year here. Miamisburg is is a, a place with a lot of good kids, but we didn't have talent coming in year after year, but we were able to maintain winning records all the way through up until our last season. But... Some of those seasons, we were way over the top. We won 20 games, four seasons while I was here, those 15. So we had some pretty good kids come through here.
0: That must have been a lot of great games, a lot of great players and teams that you saw here through these doors. What are some of the highlights that you really remember? You mentioned the 20-win seasons, but some of the players that just stick out right off the top of your head.
12: Oh, uh, We had some great – well, you know, I, I still see and talk to Erica allensball a lot who graduated from here and played four years at Marist, and Erica played four years in the NCAA tournament for Marist and still bump into her and keep in contact. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of the kids, and with social media now, I keep in contact with a lot of them. We had some great players. So my first year here, Kelly Morris, who now lives in South Carolina, had 1,000 points and broke the school rebounding record her junior year. She went on to play at Wright State. So we had some. We've had some good kids. We've that team was a good one. The team that everybody remembers is the one that won 23 straight. We were 23 and 0, and then lost in the district finals to Mountain Notre Dame. That's the one everybody around here remembers because that was a pretty special season. But we've had a lot of good kids come through here, and I think in the 15 years we've had eight Division One players. That's a pretty good ratio. A lot of coaches aren't that lucky to see those kind of kids come through. I love it. So what's a big break for you that you're hoping for? Uh, now I'm interviewing you. <laughs> it's your podcast, and I'm wait, asking you questions.
0: Wait a minute. That's, that's <laughs> not how this podcast goes. That's not how this podcast goes. Uh, my big break, huh? Um, a job. Okay. A, a job. Uh, I do so much freelance stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to keep doing that. I don't want to lose my jobs at Wright State or Dayton. Right. Maybe they'll turn into, you know. Maybe I'm the next Larry Hanskin or Chris okay. Collins. I don't, I don't know. Maybe right. I'm not. Okay. Maybe maybe I keep doing it. I don't know. I mean, it. my purpose of the podcast has always been about local sports. Awesome. And if I can go on one of these sports stations and talk about local sports and do this sort of thing live, I'll consider myself I've made it type of thing.
12: I always thought if one of them – you know, I used W-O-N-E as an example because – Chick subs in our building, and and I got to sit on Chick's show a couple times. I always thought if they would take an hour a week on a Friday night after basketball games are over or an hour after high school football games are over, give local sports an hour. I understand that it's tough and view and people that listen and how many listeners they're going to have, but they don't have to give us all week. Chick said he had a difficult time putting together a show every day.
0: Which I get. I mean, I got a weekly podcast. I mean, the last right. few weeks I've been doing multiple episodes a week. And sometimes I feel like I'm hitting the same topics again mm-hmm. and again and again and again. But at the same time, there's always something new. There's something changing every day. Right. I don't know if I have that same problem. I don't know. Maybe I'm just...
12: But I wouldn't uh. like if one of them could give somebody an hour a night. I always thought it would be neat to to sit in that studio on a Friday night after basketball scores came in or while football scores are coming in and take callers, talk about high school games one night a week if they would give us. I thought that would be a neat thing to do.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm sure there's a sponsor in Dayton that would sponsor it. I mean, Marion's Pizza is probably one of the most successful businesses in town. Mm -hmm. Mike Sells, I mean – Segment 9 from episode 29, You're in Tiger Country, recorded February 8th, 2018. You mentioned you got your start here in 2004, but before that, where did your broadcasting career begin?
7: I actually began at uh, Bowling Green State University. I graduated high school from Versailles High School in 1998. Pursued a degree at the Bowling Green State University, where it was an interesting kind of story as. Uh, You know, you go to college, you're 18 years old, and you go to your uh, advisor, and they say, what do you want to do? So I told them, they said, well, you want to be a journalism major. Okay, you know it, I don't. Boy, were they wrong, but I stuck with it. (laughs) (laughs) I did not want to do journalism. I didn't like the writing, but I stuck with it by the time I figured it out. Uh, But I got a part of the radio station up in Bowling Green. Uh, it's called Bowling Green radio sports organization, BGRSO and do college football games for Bowling Green. We did college basketball boys or men and women. Uh, we did baseball. They cover the Falcons, uh, pretty heavily. And, uh, my freshman year, I was able to get on the air, did a college basketball game, I uh, got to go do a college football game, and from there on up, just worked my way up the ladder all the way through, and it was a neat experience uh, to be able to do college uh, sports.
0: And that's a very big organization up there, Bowling Green, too, I mean... I knew a couple people when I was in college, and they were doing hockey. They were doing almost every sport available at BG. Yeah. I mean, very big organization.
7: I can say I did one hockey game just to say I did it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of my good friends still stay in touch with. You know, I've got a buddy that works uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins that did it, Steve Beers. He enjoyed doing it then. Moved on to, you know, some smaller locations for hockey and moved his way up. You know, here at WTGR, we've, we've got a grad as well, um, Alex Mikas, graduated from BGRSO and Bowling Green. So I think it's something that says, hey, this is a pretty good organization. One thing I enjoyed about it more than anything else Again, you got on the air right away. Even if you didn't do ball games, you were on on a Saturday um, afternoon talk show that we did with sports. You know, talking about NFL or whatever. So you were able to get on the air, get your experience. You know, and as you know, Lee, it's all about experience. The more you get, the better things seem to go.
0: The more experience, the more things you do, the better off you are in career, and you're you're even or even Stevens on that type of thing, so absolutely. You mentioned Alex Micas, good guy, definitely a good guy. He's the news director here at TGR, right? That's correct. He also does Dayton Flyer stuff along with me. If you like six degrees of... This podcast, I don't know, it's not as exciting as Six Degrees as Kevin Bacon, but Alex does the games for Dayton's Women's Basketball. He does other sports as well, Dayton's Softball. Alex and I work at UD together, and he, he's a great guy.
7: He is a great guy. We hired him here in 2009, uh, September of 2009. He's been with us since then. It's a young man, or at least uh, younger than me, anyway. But <laughs> he is—he's grown up a lot, done a lot of different things. He also helps with high school sports during the basketball season here at WTGR, and even during the spring. But you know, he's—he's he's out and about as well. And as you mentioned, uh, with the UD women's uh, doing their uh, basketball games as well. He's also—you um, know—I radio people always say you got a face for a radio. Um, you know, <laughs> we're never on TV, but uh, you know, Alex is getting his way on the TV too. So. I'm um, doing some lady women's uh, or women's basketball and I know some volleyball too so um, but he's a great guy and I'm sure one day when he leaves uh, we will definitely be missing him.
0: Alex Micus great guy and you mentioned again high school sports covered here on WTGR both of us after recording this podcast we're heading to our separate games. Before we talk about that what all schools does WTGR cover, and what all sports is covered here on the Tiger?
7: Well, we cover every dark county school. Uh, those schools include Miss Inouye Valley, uh, Ansonia, Versailles, Greenville, also Tri-Village, Franklin Monroe, and Arcana. Uh, we'll occasionally cover some Rushi in Shelby County. Uh, they don't have a radio station that covers them. Um, they're on the fringe of Versailles, the stone throw away again. Um, so we'll cover those. You know, and with those, um, we'll cover some surrounding schools being uh, different leagues. Uh, Versailles is in the MAC, so that gets us up into the Mercer County area to cover St. Henry, Fort Recovery, Water, uh, Minster, teams like that. Uh, with Cross County Conference, you know, that gets us into Miami County. Uh, we get a little Shelby County action in there as well. Uh, so we cover a lot, you know, different schools. But our base, of course, is Dark County. Sports-wise, um, you know, it starts off, I kind of just go the year, the calendar. We start off with football um, and covering Versailles and cross-county conference football. Um, we'll go into basketball, both boys and girls. Uh, we'll do volleyball, uh, but not until tournament time. Um, I have a wife and kids, and if I would like to keep it that way, <laughs> I can't do the entire season. But we'll do tournament time. Pick one or two teams and go do that. We've been very successful in getting some teams to get some state championships. Go back to the winter season, boys and girls basketball. And uh, then it comes spring. We'll kind of take a break. We all need it um, after doing all the games that we do. But we'll do um, some spring sports of baseball and softball. Um, A lot of times uh, there's some area teams that go down to uh, Dayton Dragons, 5th, 3rd field. And get the opportunity to play there um, and we'll follow them we'll do those a couple games and then when it comes tournament time um, we'll pick up uh, normally a softball and a baseball team and kind of go with them and majority of the time I'd say actually 95% of the time we're covering the Greenville Way softball. Their Newland squad is good year in and year out had a state championship in 07 um, so we definitely like to uh, you know follow them and you know we do it because people want to listen they want to hear those uh, you know how exciting those games are so those are what we cover throughout the year. Segment 10, from episode
0: 35, Backing Up the Squadron, released on Monday, March 26, 2018. What is it like being involved with not only the supporter group, but also kind of with the organization you root for, which would be the Dayton Dynamo?
13: My favorite part was... You know, I think it was the first season it started. Um, After the game, the players would come up and, like, they'd go down the line and give us all high fives. And that kind of translated with a lot of the guys coming back for the second year. Um, I love that a lot. So, you know, being, like, the lifeblood that, you know, keeps the engine going, especially this past year with the playoff run when we were in Erie. I'll never forget, they they scored the goal in the 90th minute. And they came and celebrated right in front of us and they were, you know, just as involved as we were, like five feet away, right across that little fence in front of us. So uh, it, you know, we're like we're the heartbeat to the engine that doesn't stop, is how I like think about it.
9: I think drums are the most important thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the funny part, I remember that first season they brought a drum and, and Ty's like, Does anybody know how to play? I'm like Okay, well this is where I tapped into my African roots. Let's do this. So yeah. So um yeah, I started drumming. I remember I had like calluses on my hands. You gotta start
13: bringing gloves, right? Yeah,
9: well I tried the gloves, that didn't work. But, you know, it it worked out and I mean I got to the point where I was like, Okay, I'm used to this. So that by the second season, you know, we're all pros now. We we got all our chants down and we you know and we're getting into into it. And I think for me it's just yeah, like that that like you said, the connection with the players, and just giving that home field advantage. Mm-hmm. I guess um, not just at home games. I mean, the two the two travel games I'll, I'll never forget. Erie, uh, we went to Erie. That was like a home game. Place. Yeah, it was like yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was a small crowd. It was a small little field or whatever. But I mean, great atmosphere. Great atmosphere and it, our our sound carried through the streets. And you can and we we play we watched the replay of that game. And you hear it, you hear us over everybody else, and I just thought, can you imagine if we had hundreds? Yeah, I don't know if
13: Erie's listening. I, I don't yeah, know if they'll really be it, listening to this, but uh, yeah. they have a great supporters group up there, yes, the Armada. But yeah. you guys got to be a little louder <laughs> than the MTD Squadron at home in a playoff game. Yes, I gotta hear you. <laughs>
9: They're really nice guys. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Also, when we went to Detroit for the playoff game against the Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor supporters group was much bigger than ours. I don't think they made a P. <laughs> they were uh, sitting they down the
13: that. whole time. Okay. So supporters culture for me was uh, sorry, getting some feedback in the mic. Um, supporters culture for me has always been, you know, you try, you got to support. The, you, you can go to games, you know, it's fun to sit there. But how much of an impact are you going to make for clapping every couple minutes? You know what I'm saying? Um, With Ed, he's written most of the chants for us. You know, we're singing for 90 minutes and drumming for 90 minutes.
9: There's a model, 90 plus or bust. Very simple. Um, You know, the thing is, uh, you got to remember, out of all the sports, all the major sports out there, soccer is the one in which the athlete goes the most so far as Miles. I mean... Uh, you're talking what 2 miles for 90 90 plus minute um, probably a little more than maybe a little bit more than that it's it's a lot of you know it's it, a lot of running it's a marathon out there literally you know and depending on your position you're you're out there and so um, it's kind of like running a marathon you know you got to have that support you got to get that encouragement and you know the the just doing the chance and letting them know that we're in their corner and you know, letting them know that we're in, we're in their corner and that we're you know out there for them, and they know that you know we're we're there to support them. It makes a whole huge difference, uh, so far as the um, so far as the game is concerned, and so far as the players are concerned. And I know, you know, the greatest feeling in the world is when they come up to you and say, "Guys, thanks." You know, you, you know that encouragement it really means a lot. So that that's really what it's all about.
0: Tyler brought up a good point. Uh, something that you know. I was at the Dragon, so I couldn't go. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to go, but uh, I remember seeing that video. Just like you guys were literally on top of them. That was that was probably the biggest goal in Dynamo history. Dynamo I'd slash Saints so. yeah. history.
13: Mm-hmm. That one, and then what was it? Tristan Lyle's goal. Yes. At home, right in front of us, where he curled it in at the top. Oh my gosh!
0: Oh god, that was such a great. That goal. was
9: that was a beautiful one. Ooh. Yeah, that was a beautiful one. That that one sticks in my mind. I think that was one of the best nights I've ever had with these guys because, um, you know, AFC Cleveland at the time was just, uh, just you know, tough, amazing. Reigning champs be, of the league. Reigning champs, and we took it to them. And just it, it felt every bit like a championship uh, match. And... Yeah, it was just a great night overall. I, I couldn't ask for a better night than that. So, um, especially with the results. So, that's something I like to bring
0: up too, as um, AFC Cleveland no longer being a thing. Now it's uh, what is it, Cleveland FC? Yeah, they just
13: unveiled their logo yesterday. I'm excited for them up there. Um. Great looking logo. It's a, you know, Stop what's it, former yeah. players that used to play for Cle- uh, AFC Cleveland? Yeah, oh, they yeah. uh, they got together when the team just basically disappeared. Um, they're going to run their own thing, which is good for them. I'm hoping you know they keep it going up there in Cleveland. That uh, I mean, when they came away, the one guy came all the way from Cleveland alone. Oh, yes. He <laughs> set up he set up flags and he had he had a drum right and
9: yeah pop, he whap us. Whop, no, it was, was, it, was, a, it was, I, a, was I forget a, his name. Yeah. But he came out there, and at first he was in our section. I had, I mean, I felt bad. I was like, man, he put all this work, putting the banners and everything. So I walked up to him. I said, like, I hate to break this to you, but this is our section. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, he <laughs> to send him across all the <laughs> way. But something. once he got everything set up, I mean, from the minute they got on the pitch to the minute they got off, he was vocal. And, I mean, what could you say? I mean, uh kind of get biblical where two or more are gathered, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was one. And I mean, one made a difference. And uh, yeah, well, it, it was, was
13: like a hundred people over there you oh, know? Yeah. With, with the attitude he had. It was like, there were people to his left, right, and behind him.
9: Yeah. So yeah, and I, I got to give him a lot of credit because with the Dutch Lions, there are times when we had two supporters and with two supporters, it's. It's tough so I can't imagine just being out there by yourself and have an away games. game especially. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, People yeah. chanting like, against you. Exactly. So And you had to
0: chant against the, you know, majority, the whole group. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody
13: else at the game is against you.
0: Right. Segment eleven from episode thirty nine, History hits the local ice. Released on Tuesday, May eighth, two thousand eighteen. Where are you from and What's your history with local sports around here? Well,
8: I grew up in grew up in Huber Heights, uh, and my tie to local hockey uh, began even before I was born. Mm. Uh, my oldest brother Jim, uh, back in 1964, won the Dayton Daily News contest to name the Dayton Gems. Um, I can't remember exactly how many entries there were for gems, and it was like 38 or 39, and. Um, of those entries, Jim's name was pull, uh, pulled out of the hat, and he won. I think he won two season tickets and uh, a pair of tickets to a couple of gems road games that first year in 1964 and 1965. And it, he said he went to they went to Fort Wayne and they went to Toledo to see the Blades at the old Sports Arena. So that's where really where it started, and um, really, you know, as, a, as a kid. Uh, I remember at, I was the youngest of five boys, uh, and we had a, a, a neighborhood full of kids, and we all had hockey sticks, and we all played hockey. We played hockey either in our driveway or growing up in Huber Heights. When we had snow, we we played out in the streets, and we would have or make sure that the plow drivers would not come through our street and plow the street because we wanted, you know, we wanted the smooth white you know ice if you will on on the street where you know where we could play. Um, and I may have mentioned this in, in, in um, you know one of my um, you know in one of my talks that, that I've done but I had a neighbor uh, we had a neighbor around the corner from us who worked at Midas and he built a pair of hockey nets out of old muffler pipes and instead of using twine for the net we used chicken wire so we had we had two nets. Um, you know, that, that we would play with, with the chicken wire. Either we'd play in the driveway or we, we'd play out in the street. When we played in the driveway, it was actually pretty cool, Lee, because we had a two story house in Huber Heights and the driveway, or I'm sorry, the, the, one of the bedrooms looked over the driveway. So if you weren't playing, you could stand up in the window. And you could do a play-by-play like back then was Lyle Stieg doing the doing the Gems games, and you could you could do the play-by-play. You could open the window, even though Mom and Dad didn't like that in the middle of winter. <laughs> well, you know, but you could do a play-by-play of the game. So yeah, that's what I remember, you know, from from being a kid. And obviously, you know, we were you know we were Gems fans growing up. My my Mom and Dad were always season ticket holders. Um, we went every Thanksgiving Eve to. Uh, sorry about that. That's all right. Um, we went to every um, mom and dad would take the kids to Thanksgiving or uh, to the game the night before Thanksgiving. Um, sometimes we get to go the rest of the year. Usually when mom was not feeling well and she had a headache, so I did my best to make sure that she had a headache so I could I could get to get to a game. But yeah, you know, there's so many things that I remember about Gem's games um, you know, growing up. Um, Hera was Hera was different back. then. The, the concourse was, was different. Um, you know, when, when you walked in, the, the color of the seats were different. That's just one thing that, that I remember. The, the, the seats had different colors, not the blue and the gold that the bombers had, but they were, um, I think they were, they were blue, gold, and green, and the, and the colors were very vivid. And um, there was an organist. Um, that sat on the, you know, on the uh, side of the arena that, you know, either the, the demons or the gems or the bombers up on the, you know, up on the platform there at the back of like section 37 and 39, if you remember where the where the flag oh, the, where, the, uh, where, the, where the American flag hung. Yeah. 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 There was an organist up there. Wow. And you know there was there was organ music, and later on you know there was you know there was you know they played rock and roll like Bachman Turner Overdrive, mm-hmm. Caribous, or mm-hmm. Casey and the Sunshine the way I, that's the way I like it, but, um, you know, it was, it was just a, it was a really cool, it was a, it was a really cool experience, and I can, you know, it's like anything, I mean, I I can still see the sights, and I can still smell the smells of, a pair of the Zamboni, I can still remember the exhaust of the Zamboni, um, back then, but, um, those images are, 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 are really, uh, indelible to me, and, I mean, even, you know, 45 years later, I, I still carry those carry those things with me
0: was that your main your main source of inspiration starting the book
8: yeah it um you know really i mean i I was a fan when i was a kid and um you know the 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 original idea for the book was to it was supposed to be about a book about the gems and when i was in my (laughs) when i was in my late 20s a long time ago so this was the, you know, the mid-1990s. I, I, st- I actually started this book with the intention of it being totally about the Dayton Gems, although that was the, you know, that was the start of the, the, the bomber years. Um, and I spent so much time, I I collected, uh, you know, the scores, you know, home and away and attendance, win, loss for all the Gems games. Um, um, you know, I, I had a, I had a... You know, remember this is back in the early '90s, mid 1990s had, had I had like an an OS2 computer. You know, it was that huge, ugly monitor, and I used Lotus One, Two, Three to create. It's,
0: it's back in the day where terabytes was not even a word. Exactly you just made that up.
8: No, that's it. That's a, that's exactly right. And uh, um, I can remember just sitting in my apartment on Wyoming Street, um, just putting all this information in and. Back then, you didn't have email. Um, I would write letters, and I wrote letters to Lefty McFadden and Warren Back and and Pat Rupp, You know, explaining who I was, uh, and you know, thank heavens for my brother because you know, fortunately, that that tie to say, hey, my brother named the gems, particularly with the with the old timers, was really a key to getting their attention. And usually, when I sent a letter to them, they were really great about responding, um, and it was always a thrill for me. To have these guys call me back and they'd say, "Hey, well, you know, why don't we meet for lunch or why don't we meet for breakfast?" I remember meeting Lefty McFadden for breakfast over on uh, the Bob Evans on at Woodman Drive in 35, and it was just an incredible thrill for me to do that. But you know, the the original concept of the book was about the gems, and you know what? It's like a lot of things in life. I mean, I, I collected all this data. You know, you've got that stack of programs next to you. I knew so much about the team, and you know what? It just kind of—it didn't die. It just kind of went on hiatus or life support. Yeah. Um, and a few years ago, in fact, if I remember it was 2013. Um, I was I was with my girlfriend, and we were at the Walgreens at Water Valley and and um, uh, Smithville Road. And I saw these books by Arcadia Publishing that, you know, they were in the magazine section. And I said to her, um, I said, you know, I've got all this material about the gems and I've worked on it for so long. Either I'm going to do something with it or I'm going to burn it. I'm going to put it out by the curb and the, and the garbage man can take it away. And I'm going to erase it off all my little three and a half inch floppy disks. And because, that, you know, that's what I had it on. And I, I remember writing a letter to Arcadia, um, pitching the book, and it was supposed to be about the Gems. And they came back and said, hey, um, we usually don't do something about one team, which, as I found out, well, you know, it may be true, it may not be true. We, we would rather take a, a broader subject like hockey in Dayton. Do you think you could write something about the history of hockey in Dayton? And I'm like, you know... Oh sure, yeah, that's not going to be a problem. Which you know their their model is is photograph based with captions, um, and I said, yeah, I don't think that would I don't think that would be much of a problem. Well, do you think you'd come up with anywhere from 180 to 220 pictures? And, again, I'm like, oh, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem, thinking at the time, well, maybe that would be a problem. You know, I can probably get to 40 or 50, but – That's a lot of pictures. It is a lot of pictures. Um, But I told them, yeah, um, and I had to submit a draft to them. And a couple months later, they came back and said, your book is approved. Um, And then I worked on it (laughs) – you know, I gave him a timeline of, of, like, maybe a year later, which I found out was a little bit too aggressive because I talked to other authors, and, and they said, you know, usually two to three years is the, you know, is the time frame that you want to want to work with. So I, I, I put myself under a little extra pressure. Yeah. Um, you know, but fortunately, Lee, I mean, I, I had already established contacts with a lot of people. Now, like the section on Troy, I had no idea where to go, you know. But you you start to figure that stuff out. Um, that okay, you find out okay what players are still around. I'm going to go to the players. Okay, what libraries are there? I'm going to go to the libraries. And then, at least as far as Troy goes, I spent an incredible amount of time in the in the um, Troy Public Library. They have a they have a, a, a history office, you know. Uh, copies of the Troy Daily News going back a long time, and I spent I spent a lot of time driving back and forth to Troy, um, putting that section together. But I know we're we're probably getting a, a little bit ahead, but that you know the 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 book kind of yeah, you know, it just kind of um, you know it it morphed from Dayton gems to I got to do something with this, so it became a broader hockey and Dayton piece, but. It really became easy for me to do, at least from the Gems and the Bombers section, because I grew up on those. I mean, I mean that was, you know, that that was ingrained in me. So you throw a picture in front of me about Don Westbrook or Mike Sauter or Rick Bragnello or Steve Selfridge. I mean, I, you know, I knew where to go with it, already. or even with the Bombers. I mean, I knew where to go with it because as an adult, I was, a, you know, I was a Bombers fan. So the Troy section was really the. That was the challenge, but that's the section I really, really found fascinating. I'm still fascinated with the Troy Bruins and hockey back in the 1950s in, in Troy, Ohio.
0: And segment 12, off of episode 46, Voice from the North, released June 28, 2018. What's been some of the favorite venues you've been to?
5: Oh, man. You know what's funny about that is the one that I'm super looking forward to adding to this list is coming in February. Um, I am going to make sure that it happens. Fort Loramie, which is down kind of towards the Dayton area, uh, Corey Britton, their head boys basketball coach, hmm. put me on to the fact that February 9th, 2019, they're playing in Indiana. They're playing at the Hoosiers gym.
0: Oh, nightstown. Nice town
5: yep and i've been there twice and i love the movie i love gene hackman and he asked me if we could do it and my response let's say the lesser version was yes (laughs) it might have been a little bit different but for the for this point it was yes immediately so uh that's gonna happen so that's gonna be on that list
0: I know someone that was trying to put a semi-pro basketball team there. Yeah,
5: I got all about that too.
0: Yeah, and I'm like, no.
5: I, I might have helped shut that down. Awesome. Um, gosh, where, I don't know. I, I really like, as weird as this sounds, doing semi-pro football has afforded me the opportunity to broadcast at some really nice places that I've been a fan of. And some really terrible places. Um, and anyone who's ever done anything, any kind of broadcasting outside of the minor leagues, or outside of the major leagues, rather, the minor leagues, they have these stories too. Have stories where you kind of got to make things work. And I did a game one time. This is one of my favorite, favorite places I was looking forward to for like a year when I saw the schedule come out. It was at Youngstown State University.
0: Ah, uh, YSU.
5: And, uh, it was great until we get there and let's just say I swindled my way into the press box because this team (laughs) paid a very significant fee to rent Youngstown State and, um, you know, they just put the new field turf in and all that, but they're putting in new 4k HD video boards, (laughs) meaning there are currently no scoreboards. Oh. And you're way up in the box and you don't have the molt box feed, you know, to your stuff about the crowd mic or you can't open the windows because you're a couple hundred feet in the air. And what I didn't know was that the second half was being played under a running clock. Hmm. We were up 35 nothing. the team that I broadcast for at the time. And uh apparently a wedding had paid to have their wedding. They're both YSU grads. On the field, we started uh, that game, I think, around like 3 o'clock. And I think their wedding started at 5. So we weren't done. So (laughs) the game gets uh, an interception, and it just randomly stops. Well, again, I'm high in the booth. No one tells me this. So they just walk off the field. So I said, well, I guess it's time for the wedding. The game's over.
0: Did you broadcast the wedding?
5: I thought about it. If uh, I could have gotten some money and one of the other guys wasn't my ride, I probably would have.
0: I now pronounce you, husband and wife, you may now spike the ball like wrong.
5: Right. Please don't spike the wife. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's not going to work.
0: Spike, spike the floral arrangement.
5: Boom. Right. Um, but I would say there, that was still pretty cool because, you know, growing up, I got to see, you know, on TV with Maurice Colred and the and, uh, – uh, Jim's era and all that when they were winning titles. <clears throat> and, uh, it, it just, it was really neat. Ohio Stadium, I've, I've done a couple of times, which is, I'm not an Ohio State fan, but I still can respect the tradition and the pageantry of it. It's still also very odd because you're about 170 feet up in the air, mm. off the field, and my color guy is deathly afraid of heights. Oh, So to make things worse, every time I came back from a break, I would say things like back here high atop Ohio Stadium (laughs) or hey, Denny, did you know that the playing field is 168 feet below us?
0: Oh, I bet Denny was probably cursing up a storm off the mic like,
5: well, it's also 11 o'clock in the morning, so he's already had to deal with me for like four hours by this point. (laughs) So he's not happy about that, you know? That's the great thing about having partners that you have a good rapport with. they'll they'll pretty much go through anything. but I, w- I would say those two um, there have been a, a lot of neat places that are sentimental to me mm-hmm. for various reasons. <clears throat> about uh, two years ago I got to do a game and I had never done this before at uh, the high school that I went to here in town. I did the girls game and it was special to me because in the afternoon they played at the gym that I grew up in. They've since built one of those bigger schools, you know, with big multi-purpose everything. But it it was neat and it's funny because I I must have remembered it differently because the uh, press box itself barely fit two people. And it wasn't the greatest thing ever. For anyone but me but growing up that's the place I always wanted to do a game from and I've been fortunate that I've done you know soccer football baseball from uh, the other venues at the school but those are always special I mean there are uh, the Schottenstein Center obviously is another one uh, my my personal favorite is the Stroh Center at Bowling Green just absolutely gorgeous uh, both fifth third fields in in uh, Ohio. Actually, jokingly, I I just did a game in Finley, and their field, their high or their, uh, sorry, their college field for the University of Finley is also called fifth third field.
0: So,
5: so if three. I can get the one in Michigan, I'll have all four.
0: So there's three just right off seventy five like that. Right, nice. exactly. Fifth third. Stop investing in ballparks. Invest in something <laughs> else.
5: I, no, I mean they keep me in business. So have
0: that, have that keep happening. And those are my favorite segments from the top twelve episodes. Available on the com slash podcasts. Now, there's an error on this, because episode 7 is technically not in the top 12. And that's my fault, mainly, because of the fact Brian's audio came out okay, but Doug's did not, because I didn't realize it at the time. I had my sound settings to record twice as loud through the microphone port. So, yay me. So, I'm sorry about that, Doug. I think... We'll be able to do another Doug and Brian episode one of these days. But I would like to bring to your attention the highlights from episode two, which is Malin's Sports Almanac, released July twenty fifth, 2017. What it was, it was an episode talking about if you could change one thing in the Cincinnati-Dayton sports market, what is it and why. A lot of them were events, some were building-related, like hair Arena staying open. And I pieced together the fan suggestions. All but one came from Facebook, I believe. So, I'm going to put that in here. You can call this Segment 13, and I'll put on some new music. Credits will come after that one. So, Segment 13 from Episode 2, released July 25th, 2017. So, what if that happened? What if the downtown rink was built? Also, this was brought up by several people on my Facebook timeline or about a new hockey rink. Start off with John Blosser mentioning that Dayton getting a new arena for a double A or higher team. And with the downtown rink being a thing, perhaps that could have happened. Kent Metcalf Agrees 100%. And the gentleman you might know as B-Man, the hockey public address announcer extraordinaire, and also one of the radio hosts on WTUE 104.7 FM in the area. Yep. So he agrees with the hockey rink as well. Sean Murphy, a comment down saying, We need a new hockey arena, meaning one large enough to host another pro team. And that is not the only hockey topic that was brought up on here. I guess I'll go ahead and jump on that. The first one, not talking about Dayton hockey, this is talking about Miami University hockey. Of course, Miami being in Oxford, Ohio, which is in between Dayton and Cincinnati. So yes, it is part of the gym on the Queen's Crown. I guess it'd be kind of like the glue that holds the gem to the crown what have you. You know, something in between gem and a crown. I'm sure you can think of something better than what I just said. Jeremy Lance, who was a co-worker with me at the Dayton Dynamo last season. Terrific gentleman. Miami Hockey holding on to win the NCAA championship back in 2009. Instead of losing a 3-1 to lead... Where does that sound familiar nowadays? Hint, Cavs beating the Warriors last year for the NBA Finals. 3-1 lead in the final minute, then falling in OT. If the Red Hawks won that game, that'd be pretty sweet, number one. But that's also another championship to the Sinday area. Now, if you don't know, Miami hockey, it's good. And the rink, whoo. I love that rink. I mean, selfishly, I wish we could take Miami's rink and move it to date so we have hockey. But what it is, it is a two-sheet rink with the second sheet beam less seats. It can hold, you know, intramural events at Miami University and also high schools play there. By high schools, I mean Oxford, talawanda the Braves. They have their hockey team play there sometimes. I've heard sometimes they'll play at the main rink if Miami doesn't have a game. I'll let you in on a little secret. I was kind of hoping to see the main rink and the press box of Miami University's rink. But it turned out there was the club hockey team hosting Lindenwood. I think the Red Hawks won that night. Anyway, Jeremy Lance's comment about if Miami hockey end up winning in 2009. So we mentioned about the Cincinnati Gardens closing. There's actually one to kind of tie around to that. From Marie. what would happen if Hera never closed? Will we still have the Dayton Demolition? Will we still have Axe come in at Hera? I will say one thing. The, I forget which home game it was. It was one of the earlier ones. Out front where people buy their tickets and walk in for the game, which is otherwise known as the lobby. See? I can patronize myself, it's fine. Please laugh. They had this poster of a renovated Hera. And it looked fantastic. Especially if you like the color red. They had a lot of red, a lot of stars going on. Never came to be, I think it was maybe two games after it, the poster was gone. There was news throughout the time that Hera was letting a couple members of staff go. So what would happen if Hera never clicked? This is from Jackie Lovins. And this is for the Dayton Bombers. A couple years before, they waved goodbye to the hockey fans. So Dayton was in the Kelly Cup in 2007. It was against the Idaho Steelheads. It's a fish. Made with steel. No. That's not that disgusting, but it's a fish. I promise you. Idaho versus Dayton, 2007 Kelly Cup. And Dayton was coming off a come from behind semifinal win. What would happen if Dayton won the Kelly Cup? Would they still be around? Would they be around one more year? I'm trying to remember if that was the last year of the Columbus affiliation. I don't quite remember. I know Columbus and Dayton were affiliates, Blue Jackets, and the Bombers were affiliates for a long time. In fact, the Bombers wore the same font as the Columbus Blue Jackets did on the numbers. And then they had a logo change. Logo change is quite nice, actually. It's very similar to the Dayton Stealth logo up today. This is from my co-worker for the Cincinnati Thunder and the main play-by-play voice, Don Helbig. What would happen if Cincinnati had that one vote to merge into the NHL? That's a very good question. Cincinnati very, very close to being an NHL home. It was supposed to happen in the summer of 1977. Merger failed by one vote. Where would the Stingers play if they were NHL approved? Will they eventually go to U.S. Bank Arena, current home of the ECHL Cyclones? And the building, I swear, hasn't changed since the opening credits of WKRP in Cincinnati, even though they did get a renovation in 1997. The Stingers were almost in the NHL. I don't think they would have been the first. There was the Cleveland Barons, formerly the california slash oakland Seals. Green and gold look was very, very sharp, by the way. Well, what happened is the Stingers they made it into the NHL. Now we jump out of hockey, and this one is a little bit different. This is from Pat Mormon, and he wants to be at the largest sports crowd in Dayton history, according to Tom Archdeacon, again, of Dayton Daily News. In the late 1800s, 75,000 people Montgomery County Fairgrounds came out for a horse race. There's a sketch of this. By Currier and Ives. Yes, the same people from that Christmas song. Well, okay, they're not from the Christmas song, but you get what I'm saying. The sketch is hanging at Old Hickory and Brown Street by the University of Dayton. So, anyone in town, go check that out. Just imagine, though, back in the day, you gotta think. Times are different, so, you know, your apparel is a lot different. Back then, you used to go to sporting events in and ties and hats. And again, sporting events were what? A nickel? A dime? <laughs> Give me those prices today, am I right? That'd be great. No, but uh Mormon had a different look on that, and I definitely respect him that. Just imagine being one of seventy-five thousand, watch a horse race. So the next event, Glenn Olson, who is a sportscaster in Cincinnati, had the same ideas I mentioned, the Marcus Hartman article uh, some while back. Glenn Olson writes, I don't know if you consider this local, it is, but the Bengals beating the 49ers in Miami. Again, going back to the Super Bowl losses for Cincinnati. You gotta argue the 80s, probably the most successful time for Cincinnati, with the two visits to the Super Bowl, and of course, the Super Bowl in 89. Well, for the 88 season. I always hate trying to Having the game in your hands, and then Joe Montana driving the other way, winning for San Fran. If Cincinnati won at least one, if not both, of the Super Bowls, would they have the whole 90s forget-about-it era, not counting 1990, because that is currently the last playoff win for Cincinnati against the now-defunct, now-also-the-Tennessee-Titans-Houston-Oilers squad? I think that was 45-3, to 3, was it, for Cincinnati? And that's the last Bengals playoff win. And then 1991 on through close to 2003. It's an era you like to wipe away from your memory. Or as I tell my closest friends, because they'll probably get it, the four Fair era. Which is, you know, empty. You forgot about it, and it's still empty. What would happen if Cincinnati won one of or both of those Super Bowls? So the next one is Brian Markowski, who went to school with me, also worked with me at WWSU. He mentions the Wright State NCAA game against the Pitt Panthers in 2007. That was the year that the whole King Caboodle was won at the Nutter Center. I watched that at ESPN and I wish I went to the game instead. Wright State ended up losing to the Pitt Panthers. And I'm also going to throw my hat into the ring because I have it written down somewhere. Not on this page, but the previous page. The 1993 NCAA game. The first time Wright State would win the MidCon Conference title. under of the guidance of... Ralph Underhill, assistant coach Jim Brown. And they were taking on Bobby Knight's Indiana Hoosiers. What would happen if Wright State won either of those games? Of course, the Hoosiers at that time, you know, terrific club. Especially 93. That score was 97 to 54, Indiana defeating Wright State, according to sports-reference.com. Ryan Reese mentioned to me on Twitter, what would happen if the Dayton Flyers men's basketball team took down Florida in the 2014 Elite 8, which would send the Flyers to the Final Four? Of course, that year... <laughs> that year was THE University of Dayton from the Dayton Daily News headline, which I treasure of all my heart. As you know, Dayton, Cincinnati before Columbus is what I say. That headline was just great. The picture was great. And my doctor's office actually has it hanging up in the waiting room. Every time I see it, I just... I crack a smile. What can I say? What would happen if the Flyers' role continued past the Gators? Our next suggestions from Andy Armstrong. We called a couple games together in the 2011 Horizon League Baseball Tournament up at Wright State. What if Ken Griffey Jr., doesn't get hurt playing for the Reds and becomes the all-time home-run champion of baseball. Man. Ken Griffey Jr. That is the first jersey I ever bought. It's a road kit from before what they have now. I like that font a lot better than the current font. You yeah, just my taste. but Ken Griffey Jr., can you imagine what Cincinnati would be like if his career wasn't entangled with injuries since that kid his dad playing along with the Reds that would have been something awesome to see Of course playing in Seattle he he was dynamite he was also in the movie Little Big League spoilers here Griffey jr. records the final out to thwart the Minnesota Twins comeback in I believe it was the ALCS Remember the movie, right? These all been good ones. Here's one that's current from Lucas Moore. He's a sportscaster. Met him, had one of the high school baseball games at fifth third field. He covered Springfield Shawnee Braves baseball. All he wants is the Jeremy Hill to hold on to the football. I think we're talking about the Cincinnati versus Pittsburgh game where Bengals had in their grasp, but those two penalties come back and bite them in the butt. Lucas Moore is even saying, forget the Super Bowls, just wanted to see that happen. That was a crushing moment. I was watching on Twitter, just seeing all the Bengals fans happy, and then (laughs) social media wave just happens, and then Bengals fans are like, no! And we have one from Matt Zinnaker, keeping it with the Bengals. And this is a Bengals-Pittsburgh playoff game from the 05-06 season. What if Carson Palmer doesn't get his knee blown out in the second play of the game for Cincinnati? What if Carson Palmer stayed in the game, didn't get hurt, would Cincinnati win that game? I have to think they have a solid shot on it. Turned out John Kitna had to drive the ship the rest of the life of the Bengals and Pittsburgh won... By at least 14 points I think. I feel like Cincinnati could have won that. That's not me with my orange and black glasses on my head. I feel like they would have had a solid shot. Especially that year that they had. But we'll never know. Actually I have one more before we'll stir up the hornet's nest. And this is from me. This is one of the last ones I thought of. What would happen if the Dragons won that playoff series? in 2011 against the Lansing Lognuts. Just to preview that, Dayton got the playoff berth in the second half, and that team was dynamite. This is the year Billy Hamilton ends up stealing over a 100 stolen bases, and that happens to be the minor league record. Of course, now Billy Hamilton with the Cincinnati Reds. Dayton won the home game. Lansing being the first half winner, they got two home games. They had the home field advantage. Lansing won the second game quite handily. In the third game, Dayton had the lead. I think it was a 1-0 lead. Bottom of the ninth, Lansing scores two to win it. If Lansing doesn't score those two to win it, what would happen to the Dragons? Would fans remember that as the best Dragons team ever? And now we come to the final event of this wild wild ride, and I've been trying to figure out how to word it in a way where I'm not going to shake up a lot of hornets talking about it, but this has been suggested from Ron Boggs, a good friend of mine, we work together, and CJ Dorn, who... I went to school with. And if you are a local Dayton fan, you already know this. If you're a local Cincinnati fan, you have your own series for this in the Bearcats and Xavier. I'm talking about the Gem City Slam. This is men's basketball, Wright State versus Dayton. The last time these two teams played on the hard court for men's basketball was December of 1997. Back then I was nine and not into sports as yet. Ed Schilling was the head coach of the Raiders. This would have been his first year at Wright State. And Oliver Purnell was over at UD. Dayton ended up winning that game. And the series has held five wins for the Flyers, three wins for the Raiders. What if this series didn't stop late 1997? What if it continued to play on throughout the years? Now... Dayton basketball, very, very strong history. In Wright State, they started playing Division I in the 87-88 year, so one more year than I've been alive. So not as much D1 history for Wright State. However, Wright State has a Division II National Championship under the belt. Again, this is Ralph Underhill and assistant coach Jim Brown leading the charge with the Raiders' win against the District of Columbia back in 1983. This is before the Nutter Center, where the gym was still in what's now known as the Student Union, in the bookstore. When you go past the cashiers, look up at the ceiling, that's that's the gym. Well, that used to be the gym, that's not the gym anymore. Nutter Center is. So, what if the series continued after 97? I'm not going to guess what the series would be. What I am going to say is, would it be popular like what Cincinnati and Xavier enjoyed? Where it was in danger of just being played. Actually, it was in danger of not being played at all. But then they played a year or two at US Bank Arena and said, nah, we'll just do home and home again. And Xavier and Cincinnati fans rejoiced. Now of course in Dayton there's no real neutral rink. I mean, sure, you have a basketball gym that seats 5,000 and Kettering, but when you have the history of the University of Dayton Arena, which is now getting a major facelift, and inside the facelift, you know, we call that remodeling in the trade. I'm not sure why I said inside the face. No one's ever said that. And Wright State's nurse center, having the seating capacity it has, you know, there's no neutral court. Would there be a television deal? Would there be a sponsorship deal? I can see a couple things going, you know, sponsorship deal for that, but I absolutely believe it would have been great for the community. Yeah. It's your pride of Dayton. I'm not going to go into the whole thing of, you know, it needs to be played, it doesn't need to be played. Both these schools have good basketball programs. Anthony Grant... University of Dayton, you know, you got a Flyer alum leading the pack now, and also has NBA experience as an assistant coach with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and for Wright State, Scott Nagy, his second year, brought a really up-tempo pace along with him, Wright State scored a bunch of bunch of points, I had a 20-win season last year, Wright State did, I'm not gonna, again, I'm not gonna say this game needs to be played, You can make your own opinions of that. I'm just asking what if the series was still playing? This is where Biff gets angry and then tries to shoot me. Then I throw a match plate at him, and then he misses. And that song was from Roy Matz, Destined. And you can find it on RoyMatz.com. He gives out free beats to people that have podcasts on the Facebook group Podcast Movement, I believe. Very, very nice beat. I actually have it for my closing. But I wanted to mix it up since I had the same song going through the first 12 segments. And that will do it. That's episode 52 celebrating one year of hashtag local Sunday sports. Next week, we'll go back to a normal schedule, talking about local Sunday sports, one year of podcasting. I never thought that I would reach that point, but somehow I did. Thank you one and all who've given my podcast a chance, no matter what platform you listen to. It's been a real honor doing this podcast, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. Episode 52 and year number one in the books. We're going for year two and 104 episodes. Talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Gem on the Queen's Crown. Closing theme provided by Alexander Nakarada from freepd.com. For every available platform to listen to the podcast, please visit theleadwmowan.com slash podcast. For podcast updates, like the Facebook page, the gem on the queen's crown and on twitter follow the podcast at gem on queen crown and the host at the lee w